All right, good morning. Welcome to Somerset, Pennsylvania, home of the windmills, apparently. And uh, man, it's beautiful, beautiful morning. It's good to be here. We had a good time last night, right out here. You see the line still painted on the ground. We played some dodgeball. Uh, it gets pretty intense around here at GNCC. I've learned doing this that um, most public schools don't allow dodgeball anymore because people get hurt. <laughs> and I came with every time that we play dodgeball, um, we go through the balls, you know, the, the, the sturdy dodgeballs. Um, I'll buy, I think I came with six of them, and I'm going home with like two of them because we pop the balls all the time. So uh, it was good, man. The kids are out here. And most of the kids that come out on Friday night and Saturday night, they're on the track right now. And uh, it's a good opportunity just to gather them around and tell them God loves them and has a plan for their life and pray with them, pray for safety for the race. And, and we've got, uh, over the last couple of years that we've been doing this, there's a contingent of kids that are faithful to come. And they always come and look at one of these boards on the tent. What are we doing tonight? So if you would like to be involved, actually I know a couple of you already were involved in dodgeball this weekend, but if you'd like to be involved, I'm always looking for volunteers to help with youth activities on Friday night and Saturday night. So come see me about that. God, thanks a lot for this morning. Thanks for the beautiful sunshine. Thanks for the opportunity to be at a racetrack on a beautiful Sunday morning. We want to give you first place in our lives. We want to give you the first part of our day. Would you speak to us and teach us what you would have uh, for us to learn, open our ears, open our hearts, and give me the words to say. In Jesus' name, amen. We are inundated. Here in America, we are inundated with marketing. And we tend to overlook it. Thank, thank God there's a DVR. So you can record your shows, your football games, whatever, and you can just skip through the commercials. And you don't have to, you don't have to deal with all the, uh, the creative advertising that's all around us. So in these days, marketers have had to be very, very um, intent on getting our attention. They have to be very creative. And no one does it better than Coca-Cola. Coke has done, uh, actually this year, you've probably seen it if you've bought a can of Coke or Diet Coke or whatever, you see the name on the side of the can, and the name has taken the place of the Coke logo. They put your name sometimes in there in place of it. And the idea of this was they took the 1,000 most popular names for kids and, and millennials, teenagers, and they took the 1,000 most popular names and they put those on the can, have a Coke, share a Coke. And they created a website, and you can hashtag it on your social media, and uh, we've seen it's gone viral. And they actually tested this idea in 2011. They did the same campaign in Australia. And I didn't know anything about that because I don't live in Australia. So it's for the United States, for the summer of 2014, have a Coke with whoever. And it's been, it's been a huge success for them. Their sales have gone up. Market share has gone up for Coca-Cola. Well, a, a, a month ago, June 29th, Empire News, which is an online um, media outlet, Empire News reported that the name Michael was being recalled off of, of Coke shelves. And, and the news story went on to say that there was, a, there was an employee at Coke who had a falling out with her supervisor named Michael, and so she put dirt, topsoil, put dirt in the cans of Coke. And so Kirk, Coke was having what they called an urgent recall of cans with the name Michael. Well, it went on that uh, WNYT News out of Albany, New York, picked up this story and they ran it on one of their news uh, segments on the 6 o'clock news. It was a hoax. Total hoax. Empire News is an online liar website. And they even say it. The fine print of Empire News says that we are for entertainment value only. And uh, they made up this story. And the point is, can you imagine being the TV producer saying, hey, what are we going to do for the 6 o'clock news tonight? I know. Here's a cool story. Let's run this. They run with the story. And then their NBC um, competitor in the same market called them out and said that now they you know they recalled their story but they have egg on their face 
Can you imagine being the producer saying, man, I thought that I had a good story here. It got everybody's attention. It was an interesting story. It sounded credible, sounded plausible, but they went out with misinformation. They went out with a lie. Their starting point was false. We all try to make the best decisions that we can given the information that we have. I did that last week. If you were at Unadilla, you saw that I was in a U-Haul rental van, and I told you that my, my shuttle bus, the little rig that I'm normally driving with a 20-foot trailer behind it, had uh, broke down, making an awful racket, making a terrible, terrible uh, noise. It sounded like a bearing going out, so I stopped and I had a mechanic look at it, and he changed a couple of pulleys for the belt drive, and the noise didn't go away. I had another mechanic look at it. We changed another be uh, bearing or another pulley together. Noise didn't go away. I had yet a third mechanic look at it, and he said, oh, man, that's crank bearings. That's really bad. I said, I'm not driving anymore. I've been uh, stuck on the side of the road enough times, not driving it, rented a U-Haul, finished the trip, got to the race, did ministry, raced in the afternoon, had a good time, went back home, sat there at my mom's house in western New York, about uh, 800 miles from home, saying, man, what am I going to do with this shuttle bus? The engine needs to be rebuilt. I made the best decision I could based on the information I had that the crank bearings were going out. I got to talking with A.J. Stewart's dad, Alan Stewart. A.J. used to race the XC2 class here at GNCC, and Alan, his dad, is a really good mechanic, and A.J.'s a good mechanic, too. Got to talking about a few things, started testing a couple other ideas, and it turned out it wasn't the crank bearings at all. It was a power steering pump. Like 60 bucks, a couple hours labor, and I drove the thing all the way back to Nashville. And, of course, on the way, I developed a wiring harness short, and I couldn't drive it here because the dash is all tore apart now. So a different problem, but I made the best, best, best decision I could based on the information that I had. I thought what was true, so I made a decision. I remember the first time I ever drove with a GPS. You guys might have done this same thing too. I was all excited. I have a GPS. I plug in the, the uh, final destination, the point that I want to get to, and I hit the road. And I remember going, I was going to a, an arena cross. In the middle of the night, I was supposed to pull in about midnight, and I knew I was going to go north on 75, and I was going to get off on 80, and I was going to go west. But the GPS, about eight hours into my drive, the GPS had exit now. I thought, well, that's kind of weird, but it's a GPS, man. It knows where I'm going. It knows the best way to get me there. I'm going to trust what I'm told. So I exited. In the middle of the night, it's like 10 o'clock at night. It was pitch black. There was no moon. There was cloud cover. Pitch black. It took me on these one-lane roads through a bunch of cornfields for about 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and I finally popped out on Interstate 80. What in the world? cost me a bunch of time. I never trust the GPS from that point on. I always look at the map. <laughs> I see the heads nodding. Yeah, we've trusted the GPS to our detriment. And yet we're told things and we just go along with it. We believe it. It's got to be true. If I'm told it, <laughs> if it's on the internet, it's got to be true. One thing on the internet, one thing that we're going to look at today, it is a fact. fact that we have been taught most of our lives. And some of us believe it and some of us don't and some of us don't know what to think. But if you Google the term, how old is the Earth, the instant answer that pops up, 4.54 billion years old. The Earth is 4.54 billion, not 4.53 billion, no, it's very specific, 4.5404 billion years old. This is based on radiometric dating. There was actually a rock that was a, a chunk of zirconian uh, found in Australia about 70 years ago. And they did this radiometric dating on this rock, uranium-lead dating. They did this test on this rock, and they found out that rock, according to this test, is 4.54 billion years old. That is the age of the Earth, absolutely. That is the age of the Earth, and that is what we're taught in schools. That's what we're taught everywhere. Like I said, you Google it, it's fact. That's what it is. Interestingly enough, though, we don't always believe that. So many people take it at face value. We're told today that the, the present is the key to our past. 
We're told that what we see happening around us is the key to our past. We see, we're told that as we see water erosion coming down off of a mountainside, washing away the topsoil of the mountain, that's the key to the past. And therefore, according to Science Journal in 2008, we know that the, uh, the, the Grand Canyon was formed about 17 million years ago. And it took millions and millions and millions of years for the erosion to create the Grand Canyon. Funny thing is, do you know why we dredge the Mississippi every single year? Because erosion fills in the Mississippi and is not creating a canyon, it's filling in a river. Weird, but we're told 4.54 billion years old. On the other hand, there's this book, and it's an old book, and it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And as you read that book, you keep on reading it, and there's this interesting story about six days of creation and God created man. God created man in his own image, he created them male and female. And then if you keep on reading that book, it gets to some boring parts. So-and-so begat so-and-so, and they had a son, and lived this many years, then he died. And then he had a son, and he lived this many years, and he died. And you add up all those ages. You add up the ages, and you add how long that they lived, and you add it all up, and you find out that the earth is about 6,000 years old. The earth was God created the heavens and the earth about 6,000 years ago. But that can't be true, because the earth is 4.54 billion years old. We know we found this rock in Australia. It can't be wrong. May, 1980. Matter of fact, it was uh, May 18th, 1980, 8.32 in the morning, Richter scale recorded an earthquake 5.1, Skamania County, Washington. A specific place, a specific time, a specific date, a specific set of people experienced an earthquake in the modern age of science. The, the present is the key to the past. This, uh, this earthquake shook loose the north side of Mount St. Helens. Now you've all heard of it. Mount St. Helens in Washington State erupted. Once the, once the north side of that slope fell away, the molten, the molten rock and all the gases and the lava was exposed to lower atmospheric uh, conditions, and there was an explosion that erupted. And this volcano erupted with a force 500 times greater than the atom bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima in Japan in World War II. The explosion was directed, thankfully, it was directed upwards. And for 80,000 feet, smoke and ash rose and lava spewed 80,000 feet in the air. When you take a transatlantic flight to another country, you're flying about 40,000 feet in the air, about uh, seven and a half miles. Fifteen miles high, a cloud of ash rose. 250 miles around, encompassing 11 different states, ash rained down. Residents 250 miles away had to get out snow shovels to shovel the ash off the sidewalks. was the force of this explosion of this volcano. The present's the key to the past. And as this thing happened, as this volcano erupted, the lava mixed with the glacier ice that was on the mountain and the snow on the mountain. We know water and dirt make mud. Well, there's a mudslide that flowed off of Mount St. Helen. It flowed for, for 50 miles long at 90 miles an hour. This mudslide was, was violent. It swept things away. During this time, when the Mount St. Helen erupted, 57 people lost their lives. For two months before Mount St. Helen erupted, scientists all around that area were saying, you know, something's happening over on that mountain. We need to evacuate the surrounding area. And they went door to door and they, they did an evacuation. Fifty-seven people said, I'm not leaving. Matter of fact, this, was, this happened during the observable time of science. You can go on to Google and YouTube and anywhere on the Internet and you can Google Mount St. Helen and you can watch a documentary of them going door to door. And I specifically remember in my research for this, seeing the video of an old man, I ain't leaving. I'm born on this mountain, I'm dying on this mountain. And he died on that mountain. 57 people lost their lives. 11 million animals lost their lives. 4 billion feet of timber gone up in ash and smoke. 
happened in the time of science, and we can still watch it today with our own two eyes because there's so, so many different videos and different angles of this thing going up. problem with evolution is that it's not observable. They say the problem with creation is that it's not observable, and yet if the present really is the key to our past, you remember that mud flow that flowed for 50 miles at 90 miles an hour? It carved a canyon 150 feet deep in a matter of minutes. Like in an instant, this 150 foot deep canyon was formed. If that happened today, creationists say something about a flood. If you keep on reading in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 7, you find out about this worldwide flood. Did you know that as we stand here in, in um, Somerset, Pennsylvania, or near Somerset, Pennsylvania, we're standing on almost two miles of sedimentary rock? You have to dig about two miles before you come across original rock. And that's, that's true worldwide. Scientists have discovered that it takes about a mile to two miles of sedimentary rock before you come to original rock. We don't hear too much about that, though. All we hear is that the Earth is 4.54 billion years old. Well, it wasn't too long after Mount St. Helen erupted that Dr. Engel, there's a, or not uh, Dr. Engel, Dr. Steve Austin, rhymes with the uh, wrestler from the 90s, Steve Austin. This was a doctor, a scientist. Uh, Steve Austin, he took a sample of the lava dome of Mount St. Helens and he sent it off to a lab in Connecticut. He said, tell, tell me how old these rocks are. Do your radiometric dating and tell me how old these rocks are. The lab in Connecticut said, surely, doctor, uh, we'll, we'll be glad to do that for you. Some time went by. They performed their test. They contacted him back, and they said, hey, Dr. Austin, you will be pleased to know those rocks that you sent to us. The youngest rock that you sent to us is 350,000 years old. The oldest rock that you sent, you'll be excited to find out, is over 2 billion years old. Dr. Austin said, you know, that's really funny because I pulled those out of Mount St. Helen, out of the lava dome. I know that those rocks are less than 10 years old. They said, Dr. Austin, you can't do that to us. You're trying to trick us. You know you can't submit a rock to us that's less than 2 million years old. He said, well, why did you tell me one of them was only 350,000 years old if it had to be at least 2 million years old to do your test? And they ran him out of town. They discredited him every which way that they could. The scientific community just basically ran him out of town because he disproved their test. I can't help but think this guy Paul wrote some books in the New Testament. He wrote in Romans, in his letter to the Romans in the first chapter, he said, the truth about God is instinctively known. God put this knowledge in the hearts of mankind. We know that there's something else out there. Ecclesiastes said that God has created eternity in the hearts of men. We know instinctively that there is something out there. We look around here. We see the beauty. We say, man, there is something out there. From the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky and all that God has made. People can clearly see His invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature. So there is no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. Yet, although God is known, people have not honored Him as God or given Him thanks. And so they have become futile in their thinking. Their hearts are foolish and dark. Claiming to be wise, they have become utter fools. The ooze to the zoo to you theory that we've been learning about for so long, every single one of us that's ever been in a public school learned about the ooze to the zoo, there was some ooze that turned into slime, that, that turned into a fish, that grew legs, that crawled up on land, turned into an ape, became a man. And we're taught that as fact. Be claiming to be wise, these scholarly people, these learned men, these people with high IQs, claiming to be wise, they became utter fools. And what's the result, Ben? There's a lot of different things that we could, we could uh, look at and say the result has been uh, such and such, but there's one thing that really uh, troubles me, and it happened about 52 years ago. 52 years ago, in, in June of 1962, is when the Supreme Court said prayer is not allowed in school anymore. Public prayer is not allowed in school anymore. And it happened in New York State, not too far from here. Stephen Engel was a parent of one of the uh, students in the school in New York State. 
He said, I don't think it's right that my child should have to recite a prayer every morning in school. He rounded up seven other parents. He said, hey, let's sue the school system. So they sued the school system and said, it's not right that my child should have to pray a mandatory prayer in school. They sued the New York Board of Regents. The New York Board of Regents upheld the decision that prayer is allowed in school. They said it's not a mandatory prayer. It's voluntary. Your child is welcome to stand in reverent silence. If he wants, he doesn't have to participate. This is the prayer that they used to pray in school. At the beginning of every day, they would recite the Pledge of Allegiance, and they would also pray, Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon Thee. We beg Thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Pretty benign. Seems like a harmless prayer, but uh, Stephen Engel and seven other parents said, Ah, no. I don't think that we can do that. I don't think that's constitutional. Well, the New York Board of Regents upheld that prayer is allowed in school. Stephen Engel took it to the Supreme Court of the New York State. New York State Supreme Court upheld. It's a voluntary prayer. It's not a mandatory prayer. Engel and parents took it to the United States Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court ruled prayer is no longer allowed in school. One year later, 1963, the courts also threw the Bible out of school and introduced evolution into our school system. We no longer learn that there was a God who created us specifically, uniquely, on purpose, and for a purpose. We learn that we were ooze that turned into slime, into a fish, into an ape, into a person. Ooze to the zoo to you. It's what we learn. And what's the result been? Well, in the 1960s, school shootings, unfortunately, have been around ever since there were schools and guns. 6,000 years ago was the fall of mankind. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden said, I'm going to be the God of my life. I'm going to make my decisions. I'm going to determine what's right for my life. I'm going to do what's best for me. We've been following suit ever since, and since evil was introduced into the world, there's been evil in the world. So since there were school and guns, there's been school shootings, unfortunately. But it's always risen in proportion to the population. In the 1960s, the whole decade of the 1960s, 1960 to 1969, there were 17 incidents of school shootings in America. By the 1980s, although the population had not doubled, that number had almost doubled to 31 incidents of school shootings. In the 2010s, just the last four and a half years, here in America, there have been 95 incidents of school shootings. In just this year alone, January to the end of school in June, when school let out in June, there were 31 incidents alone in just those six months of school shootings. As many as the entire decades of the 80s. You see, if we can convince ourselves that there is no God, that we're just a bunch of ooze that turned into slime, and here we are, and we got 72 and a half years on this earth to make the most of it, and we're not accountable for anything that we do, then there is no morality. In other words, there is no right and there is no wrong, and we can do whatever we want. And that sounds great, except that that leaves us with absolutely no hope. And we've seen teen suicide numbers rise drastically, drastically, in the last 52 years. And we're troubled. If you've been online at all the last couple weeks, the blogosphere has just blown up with a debate over monogamy. All right, That means boy meets girl, they fall in love, they get married, they say till death do us part, and they are faithful to each other until one of them dies. That's monogamy. It's old-fashioned. We, uh, we, um, we weren't designed for this evolution. You know, we, we are beyond monogamy is what the argument has been. Many professors from de several different colleges have written articles and letters and uh, printed out blogs online that says monogamy is old-fashioned and open marriage is the way to go. In my research for this, I even came across articles. Ten celebrity couples who have open marriages. And it's okay. If there is no God, then we can do whatever it is that we want to do. And you and I, most of us here, have probably given our hearts to Jesus Christ. We've probably said, God, you can be the God of my life. I know that I'm not good enough to get into heaven. I know I can't even get through this life on my own. But unfortunately, the culture that we live in still invades our lives. And we get wrapped up in it. I've heard from the pulpit. You know, it's true that God created the heavens and the earth and God created the world, but He could have done it 
in millions of years. Peter says that a, with a, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. So time to God is not the same as time to us. So God easily could have done millions and millions of years to create this earth. We could both be right. The problem with that is that's not what God said. God's not a distant, detached God who's uninvolved and unconcerned with the affairs of the world. He is so concerned with the affairs of this world that he sent his own son to this earth who died on our behalf, gave his life to cover the penalty for our sins. That's not some random, detached God who lets random events take their course, which actually don't make any sense because the first law of thermodynamics is that everything proceeds to, to chaos and disorder, not to order. Nonetheless, I hear it preached from the pulpit that, you know what, this could be right, that could be right. I'll agree with the world on this hand and I'll soften the blow. Last week we had a message about hell. <laughs> Didn't really enjoy giving that message myself because I like to tell you that God is love and God loves all of us and He wants us to live forever in heaven with Him. But the consequence is if you reject Him and if you reject the truth, there is an eternal fire. There is an eternal payment for that. And so we talked about hell. And I don't shy away from the subjects that I just don't happen to like. Three weeks ago, the church, the largest church in America, the pastor's wife got up on stage and said that we don't worship God for the sake of worshiping God. We worship because it's good for us and it makes us happy. And if we're happy, then God's happy. The video clip of it uh, that circulated around the internet also had a, at the very end Bill Cosby from the Cosby Show in the 80s jumping up and saying, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That is the dumbest thing. We worship God because he loved us so much that he sent his son to pay the price for us. I am so lost. When I make decisions on my own, I don't even know what the starting point is. I don't know what the truth is left to my own devices. I make the wrong choice. God in his grace and his mercy, he rescued me, and that's why I worship God. And that's why the Bible says that we worship God. Yet we've got such a soft gospel circulating around this country that we tend to forget that there's a consequence for sin, that there's a consequence for our action, and that there's also a God who loves us. And so today, for those of us that know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we know what's right and we know what's wrong, uh, it, it's up to us to remember that God indeed created us uniquely, specifically, on purpose, and for a purpose, and that He did it out of love for us. We need to know the truth, believe the truth, and then we can make decisions based on the truth. You know, it's not like, uh, it's not like following your GPS. Just, I'm just going to believe whatever it is that people tell me to believe. Pick up the Bible and read it. That's the challenge today. Pick up the Bible and read it. If you really believe that God created you uniquely and individually, pick up the Bible and find out more about this God. Because Jesus, and during his time on this earth, he taught us many, many different things. But one of the things that he said was that we're each going to give an account to God. At the end of time, there's going to come a day when we are reconciled to God and we have to give an account for our time on this earth. And he says that we're going we're to have to give an account for every idle word that was ever spoken during this time on earth. That's kind of serious. I want to take that seriously, and therefore, I want to base every decision that I make in my life, I want to base it with a starting point of truth. If God really did create the world, then it's going to affect the way that I make my decisions concerning marriage, whether it should be monogamous or not. It's going to concern how I treat other people. It's going to, be, it's going to make a difference in what I watch on TV. If there really is a God who loved me, what is best for my soul? Should I watch this, or should I not watch it? Should I look at this on the Internet? There's more bad on the Internet to look at than there is good. What should I be protecting myself with? What should I be looking at? What should I consume my time with? What should I think about? What should I say about people when they don't know I'm talking about them? Those are just things that God's convicted me on just this week. If God really did create us, then it matters how we spend our time on this earth. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he was the brash and outspoken disciple that uh, we most often like to look at, but he's also the rock. He's the one that started this whole movement thing called Christianity. He's the one that Jesus came to and said, hey, on you, I'm going to start a whole movement. You're going to be the rock. 
And Peter preached the message in Acts chapter 3. 3,000 people came to know Jesus as their Savior, and this whole movement thing was started. He wrote a letter to the Christians in the early church. In 2 Peter, he writes this to him. He says, In the last days, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. Boy, do we ever see that. As we see these professors writing stupid things about monogamy is old-fashioned, and we don't need to worry about that anymore. They will, in the last days, scoffers will follow their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? Where is this promise that God is active and involved and actually is coming again? Everything happens the way it has always happened. We've been on this earth for 4.54 billion years. The globe has kept on spinning for during my 72 and a half years on this earth. It's going to keep on spinning. There's no reason to think it won't keep on spinning afterwards. Everything's always been, always will be. They have deliberately overlooked the fact that the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. As you read the account of the creation, <clears throat> you see that God created the world and it was all formless and it, water covered the whole face and the Spirit of God hovered over the water and then He spoke the world into existence and, and by Genesis chapter 7 there's a flood and Peter says they deliberately forget and ignore exactly what happened at that early account of creation. And he went on to challenge the followers of the early church to know the truth and stand on the truth and know what you believe and why you believe it and stand on it and don't let, don't let the world influence your decision making, especially in the last days. We're going to follow this thread next week or in two weeks when we meet again in St. Clairsville. I'm going to preach on the last days. It's, it'll be, it'll, I can't wait. It should be interesting. <laughs> Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, that says that in the last days, at the end of time, people will be running to and fro. They will be busier than ever before. It also says that and knowledge will greatly increase. This week, the iPhone 6 came out. <laughs> knowledge has greatly increased. Technology like never before. Are we living in the last days? If we are living in the last days, then it really matters what we believe concerning creation and evolution. It matters how we make decisions in our lives. If you haven't made the decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I'd love to talk to you after this. Come see me. My name's Chuck with Team Faith. I'll pray for you real quick, and then we'll get on to racing. Lord, thanks so much for today. We love you. We look forward to what you have in our lives. Would you speak truth to our lives? Show us truth. Show us the accurate starting point so that we can follow you better, so we can make decisions that are going to impact our lives for eternity and other people's lives for eternity. We want to be faithful to what you have for us, Lord. Keep us safe on the track this morning this afternoon. We look forward to meeting again in two weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Have a great race.